Hey everybody, it's Corey Mosley and this is the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast, strategy, testimony, and real talk for all things entrepreneurship. And it starts right now. Hello, 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 and welcome back to another edition of the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Mosley. Yes, this is the place where we're talking all things entrepreneurship. This is another one of our special edition episodes. And if you've been joining us, you know we've been talking about health. We've been talking about wealth. We've been talking about finance. We've been talking about how to stay motivated during this COVID-19 pandemic. And I've assembled another group of titans and legends, and they're too humble to use the word legend. I will use it for them. We're going to be talking about sales, marketing, and branding during a pandemic. What what are some things we should be thinking about? There's a lot of conversation out there about should we be selling, how we should be communicating with customers, and this idea of if everybody's running to do the same thing, how can we be different? And I have to tell you, there's no better panel for me to have here as a selection of guests. I'm joined by three real legends in their own respective areas. My first guest today is Scott McCain. Scott McCain is a globally recognized authority on how organizations and professionals create distinction to attract and retain customers and stand out in a hyper-competitive marketplace. Scott's recent book, Iconic, How Organizations and Leaders Attain, Sustain, and Regain the Ultimate Level of Distinction was recently named on Forbes.com as a top 10 best business book for 2018. Scott's often quoted in USA Today, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the International Herald Tribune, and his client list reads like a who's who of the Fortune 500, including Apple, SAP, Merrill Lynch, BMW, Cisco, and the list goes on and on. He's in the Sales and Marketing Hall of Fame as well as the Professional Speakers Hall of Fame. Scott, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Corey. It's such a privilege. Thank you for having me. And uh, I'm really excited to hear from your other guests as well today of what they have to say in this challenging time. Thank you, Scott, for joining us. My additional guest is Bill Cates. I call him the Referral King, but his formal title is President of Referral Coach International, and he's also the founder of the Cates Academy for Relationship Marketing, uh, creating exponential growth by multiplying your best customers and clients and communicating more compelling value. His most recent book is Radical Relevance and Beyond Referrals. Bill, thanks for joining the show today also. Thank you, Corey. And um, just in case anyone got confused, it's not Bill Gates. It's Bill Cates with a C. I know it happens a lot, but there you go. We were we were going to have some great clickbait there. I could have you. I could have just gone to a million downloads if if people thought I had Gates on here. But thanks for clarifying that. (laughs) And my last guest uh, joining us today is Paul Potratz. He's the co-founder and COO of Potratz Partners Advertising, based in New York. He is a former radio show host and contributor to Forbes.com, and his client list has included Toyota, Lexus, and even the government of Denmark. His agency was one of the first to adopt an aggressive digital marketing approach and pioneered personality-based brands in the digital age for automotive dealerships. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate it. Looking forward to it. So I wanted to have you guys on because there's been so much conversation around, you know, certainly everything that's been happening over these last several 
weeks and man crazy to say months i guess we're going to be saying it but there's been so much happening and there's business owners right who are in these very difficult positions now some are some are closed some are trying to change their business and and make adjustments to it and i really wanted to you know have this group put this group together to really answer some of these kind of tough questions that people have been struggling with. Bill, I want to start with you. And I want to start with this question, just an outright direct thought process about the approach that you believe people should be taking right now, as far as sales is concerned, this idea of, of selling and this being an opportunity for us really to be making a lot of money and, and, you know, and running our ads and now's the time to double down. What are you telling people and how are you advising people in the business community as it come, when it comes to selling and our sales approach? Well, first of all, you know, there's been a lot of talk. Uh, helping is the new selling. Uh, let's help people first. And I'm all for that. I always believe in leading with value uh, first. And if you're not putting your mask on first, then you've got nobody to sell to later. The old analogy of putting your mask on when the uh, you lose oxygen in the airplane, right? So what I'm telling folks is be bold about your value. And believe in your value. Be bold about how you can help your clients or customers. Don't hold. This is not a time to retreat. This is not a time to hold back. You have to be appropriate, of course. You don't want to look predatory, etc. But you have to be bold about your value. And, you know, with my referral orientation, also be bold about having other people introduce you to other people, multiplying your best clients, multiplying your best customers. It all starts with bringing great value to the marketplace. It all starts with believing in your value. And now is the time truly to ask for help to help others. We're in, a, in an environment right now where a lot of people are helping others, right? We'll, we're seeing that. And we want to help our clients, even if we don't make a buck in the process. And with that said, we also do have to stay in business. And we, if we feel bold about our value and our ability to help other people, then part of that, you know, the capitalist American way is to, to be compensated for that value as well. And so I'm a big believer in, in, in bringing value and being compensated at the same time. So, so it was an interesting point you were making there about obviously referrals and, and the idea mm -hmm. of now asking other people who they can help. But I'm curious is uh, because you deal with this in the best of markets, people who I, I, I actually use a phrase of you that I that I do a credit to you. I didn't I didn't I don't steal it, um, but I do a credit to you and this idea of keeping yourself a secret. And mm -hmm. in the best markets, there are people out there who keep themselves a secret and and don't feel comfortable asking for a referral H how do you how do you uh propose that somebody does that now when people are very hypersensitive about uh you know about that idea yeah so first of all it, it, it it's more than just asking it's about a culture and it's about a business creating the culture of word of mouth the culture of referrals the culture of introductions you know there's a lot of talk about net promoter scores and you know the book the ultimate question is are your customers are your clients willing to refer are they willing to recommend well in my world that's that's not the ultimate question it's not are they willing are they actually doing it and do you have processes in place and have you established a culture that encourages that to happen if you have salespeople, are they asking if you have customer service people are they promoting are they doing their part 
and creating this, these referrals and introductions. And then within a specific salesperson's book of business, uh, he, he or she needs to also create a culture of meeting people through other people, right? The way of the world is meeting people through other people and the referral, the introduction is the warm way we get into our, in their lives. So with that as a backdrop, this asking, which does make a lot of people nervous, uh, it, there's a lot of fear and mistaken assumptions and limiting thinking around that. It, it, this is all about, as I mentioned earlier, the belief in your value, right? If you truly right. believe that you help individuals, businesses, etc., then how can you not at least make yourself available to help people they care about? I had right. a coaching call with a client this morning. He says, that's what he's saying to his clients right now. He says, people are going through a lot right now. They're facing a lot of challenges. And I owe it to my clients to at least make myself available to help other people they care about. And so, yeah, we're asking for help, which is a sign of strength, by the way. It's not a sign of weakness. And we're asking for help to help others and with the value. And if you don't believe in the value that, that you bring, then you'll never be successful in sales anyway. And you'll definitely won't be successful in referrals. So that's interesting, Scott. I want to bring you in here because I want to keep this – kind of sales conversation going, of course, but I want to look at this from the perspective of competitive advantage, right? So you're the guy that organizations call when they want to be distinct, when they want to, you know, not be in consideration, they want to be the name choice. And what I'm curious of is right now, I'm hearing a lot of people switching to, you know, we got to go digital, we got to do more digital, we got to we got to go virtual and everyone, you know, everyone's on Zoom now, right? The Zoom, 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 the death. There's even now the articles about are we having too much Zoom? And what I'm curious of from a distinction standpoint, if you have a lot of companies racing to kind of all do the same thing, all roll out their course or their digital product or whatever, it creates a certain level of normalization. How do you then try to be distinct when people are trying to normalize in in the same game now? It's a great question, Corey. And I, first of all, but what Bill said, I think it's just, Spot on. And, and one of the things that occurs to me through this is that a lot of organizations don't know what makes them unique to begin with. A lot of professionals don't know what their competitive advantages are to begin with. They didn't know it before the crisis, which means they certainly don't know it during and, and post-pandemic. Mm. Uh, so uh, what, I, what I really think is, is you know, look at it like a, a band. I've, I've got a bunch of buddies in the music business, and one of the things they always say is that it's, it's the strength of the songs. It's the strength of the material that gets everything else. You're not going to go, you know, stream them on Spotify or buy a CD. You're not going to buy a ticket to a concert. You're not going to follow them on social media unless the song is good. I think the same mm. thing is true with us in terms of sales. If, if we don't have rock solid strength in, in what separates us from the competition before, all, all Zoom is is a tool. All virtual is is a tool. It is another means of transmission of our distinction. Um, and if you don't know what that is, you know, before pandemic, it, it, it's not going to help you to do a bunch of Zoom meetings that are just generic after pandemic. So that's, right. that's where it begins right there. And and when you talk about the idea of cornerstones of distinction, right? Um, t- tell us what you're defining as as these. W- what makes a company distinct? You know, b- before or after a crisis? Sure, sure. There, there are four cornerstones of distinction. The first one is clarity. It's being very clear about 
what your advantages are in the marketplace. Why would someone buy from you instead of the competition? Uh, a recent study by the Retail Marketing Institute said that about 70% of frontline employees cannot answer the simple question, why should we buy from you instead of your competition? Mm. <laughs> so may, maybe we need to be right. selling some internally as well as externally, right? But if, right. if our own people don't know it. Uh, so, but clarity is difficult, Corey, because it's not only what you are, it's what you are not. And what mm. we find in a lot of organizations and a lot of professionals is that to get a deal done or to make something happen, they're willing to try to be all things to all people. But yet the, the really distinctive organizations are very clear about not only what they are, but what they are not. Quick story. I was giving a speech in Manhattan about a year ago. And the speaker on before me was the president of Tommy Bahama. And he said, man, it's such a cold day and it's blustery here in Manhattan. Uh, what if I treat everybody, there's a Tommy Bahama store two blocks down. What if I treat everybody to a down-filled winter Tommy Bahama jacket? What would you think? And everybody's like, yeah, great. He said, that's just one problem. There are no winter down-filled Tommy Bahama jackets because that's not who we are. We know who we are not, and that's why it's so clear about who we are. And I thought that was just a perfect example of what we have to understand in terms of clarity. Second is creativity. Well, How do we find something unique? Well, well, well hold on. I want to. Uh, hold yeah, on. Sure. Hold on. I want to. I want to pull a. I want to pull a host uh, uh, insert yeah, there. Yeah, of course. And, yeah. And, and and this is curiosity for me because it's funny you mentioned them because they are an interesting brand. Like you know, I, I'm I'm still at least for the next few weeks in my 30s, um, and. I I actually wear several things from their brand, but there is this part of the there is this part of the store that I never go into because that's the area where I don't where that's not in my mind my age demographic does not belong in that <laughs> yeah. part of the uh, yeah. uh, 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 of that situation. So what I was curious of, and Paul, I want to bring you in in just a second, Scott. What I was curious of as a follow up there is there are some brands right now, right, who are forced to reinvent in a way that mm -hmm. they didn't think about 60 days ago or 90 days ago. So what what would you say to those people who are saying, hey, should we be waiting this out or should we be pivoting? Because that's the word people are, are using now, right? Should we be pivoting to another area that may speak more to the belief system about where the market's going? I, I, this sounds like such a bad answer, Corey, and I apologize in advance, but, but the answer is kind of it. The answer is kind of it depends. I it mean, depends. you know, if, if, if you're Marriott and you have so much invested in meeting space and hotel space, it's, it's really hard to alter what the mission of the organization is going to be. But mm. for many others, we can. I, but what I don't like the term pivot. I've tried to, to stay away from that. Because okay, pivot, good. Means I'm pivot means I'm turning away from something and towards something else. I, I would rather see us embrace. I, I would rather see us embrace additional approaches and additional ways of doing business and not necessarily pivoting away from from everything that we've been, you know, everything we've done and everything we stood for. I, I, I think it. what we have to do is to think, think of this as almost like how we define time. You know, there's B, C, and A, B in terms of how we think about time. We're almost going to think about businesses before pandemic and after pandemic because I think it's going to fundamentally change how we do business in many ways. So if we, if we say we're going to get through this and have that hunker down type of mentality, it implies right. that there's going to be a time that somebody's going to turn on the switch and it's going to get back to the way it used to be. Mm. I, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think there are going to be things that are altered uh, forever. 
we just have to think about what those are going to be for our business and how we can embrace new and additional ways of doing things. So what I want to do is I'm going to swing back to you as we go through the four distinction piece. I want to bring Paul in for a second because, Paul, you know, uh, one of the things that I've known you to put importance on over a number of years working with your clients is the idea of them taking charge of their personality and being very personality-led brands. So I'm curious as to what you may be telling some of those brands or how you're advising clients right now as to, you know, someone's maybe made their brand as the as the kind of trusted person or the or the humorous place or the fun place to do business but now you know we're dealing with a lot of serious issues how are you advising clients that have uh personality driven brands on communicating really with their customers through this kind of uh situation that we're all in so there's a few things that's going on and uh Clients or clients that are early on into the process with us, what we're really telling them is stop the sales pitch. And let me kind of back up a little bit on the sales pitch because the sales pitch is what started in the days of Crazy Eddie many years ago. And that's what businesses depended on was a sales pitch. Here's the price. You must take delivery by now. You must buy it by now, that type of thing. And then they tried to take the sales pitch from a direct mail TV and radio and take it to digital. And they're doing the same thing on digital. And that was a, a massive failure right there because that's not what digital is about or how it works. So that's been really hard for a number of them because business, you know, businesses that we work with, because they still have that sales pitch in with their, their personality a little bit. So now that they're not able to talk about the sales event, what they reverted to and we had to stop them to was saying things, how we're handling COVID. And if I get one more email from one more airline about how right, they're handling right. COVID, <laughs> I, I'm never going to fly in that airline again. And that's oh, what so, so let me doing. ask you, so, so hold yeah. right there. I want to ask you, I want to I pick up on that because here's what I thought was interesting. I thought it was interesting that, you know, we were getting all these emails, right? Hey, you know, we're, we're wiping stuff down. Uh, we're, we're disinfecting things. And, and I couldn't help but say to myself, so does that mean you weren't doing that before? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, And then you're like everybody else. I mean, it's like you're, you know, you spend half of your day sorting through COVID emails and everybody knows it's going on. So what we advise with the clients is, you know, and it's affecting different, different parts of the market in different ways, different states. You know, we said, let's not even address it. Everybody knows it's going on. Let's go on that business as usual but get away from the sales event. So we started doing a lot more videos, longer videos, and showing more of the benefit, not the features of the business, and not asking for the sales pitch and giving a deadline or talking about you know discounts or anything like that, just showing how people could, would actually use that service or that product in their lives and why it would benefit them. And what's really interesting is the clients that's followed that, those are the clients, this is crazy, that are actually having one of the best months that they've had in many, many years, that they're going on business as usual, which mm -hmm. is interesting. Bill, I want to bring you in here because as we talk about this merger of, of marketing and sales, I want to, so this is something that happened. I, I started getting these calls, right? I started getting calls from various people. I, I'm known as a, I'm known in the marketplace as a consumer of things. So 
Uh, so I so I have a lot of you know guys and gals at at certain stores and, and locations uh, that have taken care of me for various things over the years, and I've started getting you know these phone calls. Hey, Corey, you know, just checking in on you and your family and this type of thing. And I'm curious as to some of them sound genuine, like you know people maybe that I've been doing this business with for you know 15 years or 20 years or, or what have you, and then some of them have more of the Somebody sent out an email, somebody in marketing or, or, or a VP of sales said, hey, start emailing your customers and checking in on them and then button hooking that with, you know, we're here if you need us, you know, for X, Y and Z. And I was just curious as to this idea of, of checking in on your customers, it, 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 how, how to be genuine or is that genuine or is that more tactical? What, what would you have to say to that kind of co- idea right now? Sure. I, th- I think it's. To, to borrow Scott's great word, depends <laughs> depends on the relationship that they have with you, right? If, if if they stay in touch with you on a regular basis in different ways, and they're calling in just to say, how are you? How's the family? Staying safe? All that. And it's genuine, and it's part of how they communicate with you anyway, then it's perfectly fine. But if you haven't heard from them in, you know, a year or nine months, and now all of a sudden out of the blue, they're calling you. Uh, during this this thing that we're going through, uh, it, right. it it feels disingenuous and that's happening. from the start, right? Right. And so, right. I would say if if you are going to reach out to people that you haven't reached out to in a long time, bring some value to that, right? Bring, whether it's a uh, you know some sort of report, whether it's some sort of something, but just bring some at least bring some value. You know, when you have a great relationship with someone then you can ask for help mm. and helping you help others. But if you don't have a great relationship, in my parlance, if you're not referable, if you don't have an engaged relationship, then asking for help for you, for others, it, it, it really is disingenuous. So uh, I, I think you have to really be careful. And sometimes you have to warm it up a little bit. So for instance, one of my b- big markets, target markets is financial advisors, right? Mm. So they, not only are they now working from home and being virtual and they can't meet face to face with their clients, which they're, which they're so used to, uh, you know, they're having a lot of tough conversations with clients who perhaps lost some money. Uh, plus right. their own personal net worth has gone down in the midst of that. Their income is going to go down because of all this. So it, they've been hit on a lot of levels. And most of the folks that I'm working with, we're actually taking a three phase approach. So the first phone call is just how are you doing, period, that's it. They don't talk about the market, they don't talk about anything unless the client wants to go there. The second call is to then call and talk a little bit about what's happening, how they're positioned, and each call is gonna be a little different, obviously, depending on on where that client is uh, in terms of their investments, in terms of preparing for retirement, et cetera. Uh, But the second call is to just service, right? They're trying to over-service these people. Um, and, and because that's how they're going to be distinct in the marketplace, right? That's how they're going to separate themselves from the competition because a lot of financial advisors are not calling their clients. They literally are hiding under the desk. Even Mm. a couple I was coaching were not calling their clients yet until I, you know, kicked them in the butt. So, um, (laughs) you know, it's, it's, it it has to be relationship specific, but we took a three phase approach. Now the third call is now starting to talk about what's happening and that people aren't being served well and you know we're we're never too busy to see if we can you know help other people that you're that you that you know et cetera. So 
you, you, you work your way up to that ask. Gotcha. I certainly think that's a, that's obviously an interesting perspective to have on it. And I have some people doing something. I, I want to get you, I want to get you to comment on it really quickly. And then Scott, I want to bring you back in this idea of the guilt sale is happening. So mm. now you deal with big corporations. All of you on here have dealt with big corporations and I want to bring it down to kind of the, the entrepreneur, the small business, the mom and pop conversation mm-hmm. where, where there isn't, where they're not necessarily as tactical, right? They don't have a C-suite of people making decisions and CMOs and CSOs and all these people that are weighing in. They're kind of just making decisions on what they're doing at the, at the retail level, so to speak. And, I'm seeing some of these guilt experiences, especially with the restaurants and hospitality where it's, you know, hey, can you please buy a gift card so we can, you know, you can use it later. But we really, you know, could you just, uh, you know, buy a gift card or could you, you know, tip extra or all of these different things. Um, and that creates kind of an uncomfortable relationship for a lot of people, don't yeah. you think? Yeah. It does. And, and again, it's, it's relationship specific. So if you have your loyal customers, you have your advocates, uh, you have your people that really have an investment in you staying in business. Like if my health club said, you know, uh, can, can, we, can we bong you 10 bucks a month just so we can keep the place in existence so when we can right. come back rather than 100 bucks a month, right. I would have said fine, right? So if, if you have loyal people, they have a vested interest in your success, I think that's one thing. But if you're doing more general to just like everybody, I, th- I think it can be a little questionable. I mean, I'm, I, I do believe in asking for help. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I right. think it does depend on your motive. And anytime, you know, the, the, the whole guilt thing, you, you'd never want to play the guilt card. Mm. You, can, you can play the help us out card, but to right. play the guilt card, I think, is a big mistake. Scott, what are your what are your thoughts about that as it relates to damaging a brand? I, I've been saying I've been using this word punishment um, in some of my my media interviews where I say, you know, brands and companies that weren't really paying attention to their customer, weren't investing in, in customer loyalty or or customer experience are getting punished right now because they can't rely on the relationship um, that people felt compelled with them. And you work with a lot of big brands too, but I want to bring this down to that small business level. Also, it's a twofer for you. What are your thoughts are uh, on this idea of the kind of guilt sale? And then how does that relate to, you know, brands that haven't been paying attention to the market in terms of customer loyalty and experience? Well, let me take the second one first. I, I, I think they're getting what they deserve. Mm. <laughs> frankly that's, I mean, that's pretty it doesn't know, get any more direct than that <laughs> yeah I, I, I know that's pretty cold and, and I, I i certainly have have deep feeling for uh those employees who just got, got stuck because that was the you know that was the policy but but bill right. is absolutely right i mean you know if if uh if if i ask a stranger for ten dollars i'm a beggar but if i ask a pal for 10 bucks we're pals <laughs> you know, and, right. and it's it's all about the relationship. It's it's totally about the relationship. And those organizations that chose a different path, other than strengthening and enhancing relationships through the type of experience that, that they provide, uh, you know, they're not paying the price for that. And I also think that what we do during this situation is going to determine our success after uh, this crisis has passed. And, and customers are going to remember those who, who reached out to them 
not to sell them something, but to just check up like you would do on a good neighbor. Now is the time that that those who have, and I'm not just talking about a a customer experience program. I mean, that it's intrinsic in their values. It's part of who they are. Those are the folks that that are making great headway now will be taking market share and, and be doing very, very well. So, so it gets back to the first part of your question, which, which is, you know, it, we have, there's been a lot of us that have been preaching for a long time. Bill has been on the forefront of it. Uh, I've, I've tried to, to preach it that, that the experience that we create for our customers is one of the best investments that, that we can make organizationally. And I, I think that that is really being proven to be the case because the organizations that I see that are suffering most are the ones who have the least engagement and connection with their right. customers, whether it's a small store or a, a, a major organization. And how does this role of, of, of creative, right? That was going back to the distinction, yeah. the cornerstones, right? You were getting ready to talk about being creative. Tell us a little bit about that and how that could be applied right now, particularly in this well, um, marketplace. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times in business, we think creativity or innovation is chaotic. It's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. It means we're going to blow everything up or that, that, that it's right. Disruption. Startups. Right. Disruptor. Right. I'm a disruptor. Yeah. Right. And gosh, that, that thing, that, that term has been overused to the point that it's, it, it's almost negligible. It, here's what I think is, is great in business about creativity is it's derivative, but different. Here's, here's what I mean by that. Um, the Taylor family in St. Louis is starting a rental car company. They got to compete against Hertz and Avis, the big boys. How do they, how do they fight that? Well, they had this brilliant idea. What if we took the car to you rather than making you come get the car? Right. right. The, the Ford is the same, whether you get it from, Hertz or Avis, so there's zero product variation, but their idea is what created Enterprise Rental Car, just based on that idea that we're gonna be creating about just one aspect. So Jeff Bezos is sitting in a little office and he thinks, you know, I love books. What if we brought the books to the customer rather than making the customer go to the bookstore to buy the book? It's the same principle. It's just saying, how could we take that principle and adapt it for our business. What one little exercise I do sometimes with consulting clients is to say, okay, let's say that Steve Jobs is alive and he decided that that uh, he was going to get away from Apple and he was going to come run your business. If if Steve Jobs was running this company, what would he do differently than what you're doing now? If Amazon bought your company, what would they do differently with your company than what you're doing now? Or here's the third question: If if a competitor moved in and and went up against you, this could be anything from a a, a, a local grocery store to, you know, to a big corporation. If, if somebody is going to start a business to come in to take you out, what would they do that you're not doing that would attract customers? And it's really amazing because so many times I'll have people say, well, they do this and they do that. And then the obvious question is, so if that's what it takes to be, why aren't you doing it? Right. <laughs> you know, why why right. aren't you being creative enough to do those kinds of things? So those are some specific exercises that you can do just to, and it doesn't. It it just takes one thing in creativity that that can move you forward. It's it's that one thing of taking the rental car to them or delivering the book to the house or that right. one little aspect that can make a significant difference. 
Right. So, I mean, definitely excellent points. When we talk about creativity, Paul, I want to bring you back in here as we as we think about advertising. You kind of started taking us down that process. I wanted to pose uh, the guilt question to you, right? The guilt selling, because your company, you know, your your company's on the front line of doing these war rooms, uh, you know, with clients right now on on what that message should be. So I want to get your opinion on on some of the people that are turning to this more guilt selling that I've started to see. And then the second thing I want to ask you is you know for you and again i've known you a decade at least and you know your thing has always been uh contrarian i would call it or, or just taking a different approach when people are looking left go look right and a lot of times you know people are willing to do that when everything's going great and i'm curious as to you know, situations now where are you finding that some business owners are wanting to revert back to, you know, quote unquote, old school methods or or are you finding people are more afraid to try something they haven't tried before uh, because they're really scared of the volatility? So what I'm seeing right now with business owners is they're in the panic mode mm. and most of their energy is being focused on Am I going to get my PPP loan? Am I going to be in the second round? Um, how am I going to cut costs to my way? Um, it, that's been the majority of their focus. And then the other part of their focus is, well, let's discount prices and let's send out a ton of emails and try to sell our product or service at a discount. And neither one is really not none of it's working because then what happens is they're just sitting there and they're spinning and they're stressing over what do I do? What do I do? And I mean, I've, I've had a number of consulting calls now with people that are interested in changing their strategy that we talked, you know, months or years ago and now they want to change their strategy, but they're wanting to talk it to death. And I think part of the problem is it's such an easy concept of, Hey, you know, it's kind of late right now, but we can still do it. And what I mean late is start building a community, but you can definitely do it. And I, I think somebody that's doing a great job with that is, is there anybody in this country that doesn't know who, you know, who's going to run for president next? It's maybe a, a, an elected, elected official in New York. I mean, <laughs> well, I, you're talking about Cuomo. He he, he yeah. says it's not happening, right? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and I and I don't think anyone believes that. And there's people that are putting up Facebook groups saying that he should, you know, complete strangers to him, putting up Facebook groups that he should be running for president. But he's used this this crisis as an opportunity to be a, a person that creates comfort and is being very positive and has a plan and is putting himself in a very positive light when there's more people sitting around trying to find something to do. So they go to social media and that's where they're spending a tremendous amount of time. So he's leveraging that. And that's what we're trying to tell the various business owners. You need to start going live. You need to leverage this. And they're getting caught up in the, the, the things that just simply don't matter. Instead of saying, okay, let me get out there. Let me start doing live videos. Let me broadcast. Let me start creating a following, even though there's only going to be three or four people that's going to tune in in the beginning, but I'm going to stay consistent with it because this, this will end 
it, w- it will never go back to what it was, but this will end. Business will start to come back, and you will put yourself in a much better light, a much better position with a community. But So somebody calls you right now, a client calls you right now and says, Paul, hey, you know, uh, we want to step up on our ad spend. We want to hit Facebook hard and we really, you know, we really want to push. We've got incentives where, you know, we're no payments or, you know, no payments for six months or let's let's really push this price thing here. What, What would you what are you advising them? Slow the roll on that because uh, it's <laughs> definitely going to, uh, and we've seen that there, there will definitely be some backlash on that because I think that there's a number of individuals. I mean, we're we're all affected differently, but there's a number of individuals that don't have a job. They're trying, to, you know, trying to figure out, trying to manage with unemployment and everything else, and you're hitting them with the sales pitch blindly, spraying and praying. You're going to create, uh, you know really some frustration with those individuals. They're not going to want to do business with you. They're going to remember that versus you being out there being the caring individual and providing a message of, you know, giving them really a break of some happiness. And uh, what we've been advising too is to keep your social distancing because we've definitely got bashed on that where we, you know, had some companies that went live on uh, Facebook and uh, apparently they were too close you know, cause they still had staff there, but I mean, even though they were in uh, South Carolina where they're not really affected that much, but people all over started bashing on them. So, so but, they were getting negative comments because they were going live with information, but there were too many people in the room or in the live. People, exactly. Too many people in the live, too many people standing close together. What they were doing is they were actually, uh, this company has been doing giveaways for over three years now where they, they give away money. Every two weeks and they draw a name, but there was too many people standing around when they were drawing the name. So even though they were still giving away a thousand dollars, people were, Oh, it's not right. But anyway, people had something to say about it. Interesting. I I think you're always going to have that right. Bill, Bill, let me pivot to you in in, in your book and you're in radical relevance, right? One of the things that you are focused on is this idea of the target market. Should people, in your opinion, now, being so driven and create, having created this referral culture that you've created where, it, you know, that to me is self-contained, right? It's not about, it's not necessarily about new business acquisition by traditional marketing means. I'm curious from a target market standpoint, how are you advising clients that are concerned that maybe their market is, has evaporated or is evaporating or may never come back in the same way, i.e. hospitality, what what advice do you have for them, and how could how could something like you know what you've laid out in the book uh, help them right now? Sure. Well, you, you, first of all, uh, when it comes to marketing and, and business acquisition, uh, there's only one strategy that I know of that will actually increase revenue without increasing expenses, and that's to create a culture of referrals and personal introductions. And so we know that it, it is, you know, the, the primary way to meet people because that's the way people would prefer to meet you as an introduction from someone they already trust. With that said, you know, how do you get onto somebody's radar? Uh, how do you get in front of a stranger, someone who doesn't know you? Well, it's to be introduced to them, right, from someone they do trust and do know. And one of the ways to make that happen the best is through a target market and creating reputation for your business within a target market. Now, if you have a target market that's getting hit really hard, 
uh, and my target market is getting hit hard, then you have to get creative and you have to figure out how, what do they need now? How, how can I provide value to them now? And how can I do it in a way that uh, is leading with value and maybe the first gesture, they don't have to pay anything, but eventually how do we you know, partner in a way that I also protect my interests of, of keeping my business alive? So now if you have a, a target market that's dying, uh, and will never come back to the to the way that you're used to, and and that's uh, keeping you in business. And obviously, you're going to have to start to look uh, to other markets. It could be related markets. Uh, it's hard to uh, you know to pivot, as Scott said, to turn your back on one and then move to another. So the the better way to do that is to look to markets that are ancillary to your target market that are related to your target market that are also serving your target market and sometimes you can partner with those people and bring a better product to the market sometimes they can help you reach the market you can help them etc uh the, the thing about a target market though of course is it makes everything you do more effective right the the, the mistake that i've seen and this is probably something that's going to happen uh, in this time with, with the pandemic is that the mistake that a lot of businesses make, and I'm sure Paul has seen this a lot, is where they say, all right, let's make the tent a little bigger. Like, let's, let's expand who we're trying to go after, not just these folks, but we want to go after these folks and these folks too. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that, if you go after that bigger tent with the same message, mm. then that message will probably be weaker. So your target market can have more than one bullseye. You can have more than one right fit client, right fit customer, but you better make sure that your messaging is directed to each one differently. Because again, when you try to capture too many diverse folks under one message, it weakens your message. So when we think about that, and, and Scott, this is a I, I love I love the button hook of of everybody's comments um, because I, this is a perfect time to bring you back in. One of the things that I think everybody's agreed on in in its in its kind of concrete statement. I heard Paul say it: the idea of of not not be selling. Bill, I think you started with that idea of of not be selling. And Scott, you talk about within your five factors of iconic performance. You talk about factor two being stop selling. Can you can you give us your comment on what that means to you within you know this iconic brand wheelhouse? Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of talk about that. I appreciate you asking, Corey, because you know what what I mean is stop pushing. Uh, naturally, we're going to have to include financial transactions for any business to survive. But and we, we saw it before the pandemic. Good Lord, just go to LinkedIn and, and I, I'm, I'm getting <laughs> 20 messages a day. Hey, can I pick your brain? Can I schedule this call? Can I? And, and it gets back, you know, Bill nailed this earlier. You got to bring value first. And right. I, I see so many groups that are, you know, they're trying to crush their 10 that or whatever. And, and just, <laughs> it's so aggressive in terms of selling. Right that they turn off the customer. You know, for example, as we're looking at this pandemic for a vaccine, part of what they're doing is to say, okay, it might cure this many people, but what are the side effects? You know, right. if, if, it, if it cures 10 people, you have it to 100 people, if it cures 10 of, of the virus, but 10 have heart attacks and die, you know, right. that, that's not a good vaccine. We're not willing not to- Not a good risk reward you know, factor there. 
exactly right. But yet, how many times have you heard salespeople say, man, it's a numbers game. The more people I contact, the more sales I'm going to make without looking at the other side of the coin. How many people are so put off by my aggressive tactics? I'll never get another chance to build a relationship. And I see that happening with so many groups. And, and I, I, we've seen it happen, and it's been exacerbated during this, is that people are selling from desperation. Um, mm. I, grew up on, I grew up on a farm. And if, if my dad would have walked into the field and said, man, we need money, so I have a lot of need here. We need a good crop. Nothing would have grown. He planted seeds, and the seeds right. grew and created the crop that gave the money. And I, I see a lot of folks going to the marketplace with their need and not their seed. They, they, they want to go to the marketplace and push and demand and, and take their own need to close a deal rather than, than planting the seeds of relationships and connectivity that really help grow a, a crop that, be, that, that will deliver lifetime value for the organization and for the customer. Well, now let me ask you a question, though. So, right. So, I mean, any, well, of course, every, everybody in this call pretty much, when you say a word like 10x, everybody in this call will know uh, a name like Grant Cardone and sure, for, for sure. And, and whatever that means to you across the, uh, across all of us here. Now, there is a complete contrast, right? Because there you have the video of the sales meetings and how many calls you made and who's, who's cranking out 2,000 calls and, and who's pushing and, and this kind of, kind of different look there. So, are you, and not about him personally, but are sure, you right, suggesting yeah. that, because, right, the op opposition that is as a salesperson, right, who, you know, maybe commission-based, and, and Bill, I'm sure you'll have something to say about this too, and even Paul, but as, you know, someone who may be commission-based, I have to be still thinking about, right, yes, the company, but I have to be thinking about my own personal economy i jeffrey gittimer i got this from him he said you know it's not the economy uh, it's your economy that you a lot sure. of times need to be concerned about so what what are your how do you balance that if there, if if you can even do that i bring value first why would anybody be interested in what i have to sell if i haven't brought value first Yet uh, so many are taught about how many calls you make. I mean, I, uh, like Bill, I do a lot of work in the financial services field. The, the top producing financial advisors are not the ones that are smiling and dialing. It's the ones that are finding right. ways to bring value first. And through that value that they bring, then create a, a connectivity with, with their clients. Uh, some people say, well, that's, they're selling a higher end service. That, that's a boutique. That, that's different. Yeah, right. you know, I, I find that the most profitable car salespeople that I've talked to are not the ones that are, that are pushing, pushing, pushing all the time. It's the ones that remember things like the anniversary of their client or the anniversary. I got, I got a happy anniversary card from my car salesman the other day, and I thought, well, this guy finally screwed up. You know, he's a great salesperson. He finally <laughs> screwed up. It's not our anniversary. No, it was the anniversary of when I bought the car. The car, that's right. Yeah, that's and right. so happy anniversary of our, you know, the beginning of our relationship when you – I, those are the kinds of things that create lifetime value. And, and I see us moving away from, of course, we're going to have to conclude transactions. That's how business works. That's how money comes in. Of course, that's the case. But the real profitability is in lifetime value of customers and clients. And, right. uh, you know, it, it, that only happens when we've brought value before. You know, it's like, it's like dating. 
You know, you don't have somebody get married on the first date. You don't have somebody get married online before you've taken them to Starbucks, right? I mean, you've got to be some kind of romancing that goes on first. And I I see so many salespeople now that through their desperation are, are, are asking customers to marry them before they've even taken them on a date. I think there's certainly an excellent point there. All right, I want to pose. I'm going to pose. We're going to do a couple things as we kind of start to wrap up. I'm going to pose the same question to each of you, Paul. I'm going to start with you. I'll go to Bill, and I'll I'll button hook back to Scott. I want to start with this question. Same question for everybody. The right now, as a lot of business owners are thinking about producing new products or producing new services or making changes to, you know, what they've been selling, repackaging some of the things, especially in the professional services, you know, business where they're repackaging some of the things that they're selling. There's this school of thought of, you know, just getting stuff out, right? The done is better than great. And I want to ask you, particularly having two branders or I consider to be branders on, on this call, uh, there's this school of thought about just getting it out. And then there's the idea of what does that say about your brand if you just start, you know, pushing out content? So, Paul, I want to start with you because you produce a lot of content and you encourage your your clients to produce a lot of content. What are your thoughts about this uh, rush to get out? And, and you talked about going live and but not necessarily doing it with the same forethought of your brand. Well, that's a hard one on me, too, because oftentimes my team is pushing me to stop overthinking it and get it out, and I just can't do it. I feel like, or not feel like, I just know if you're going, at least in my own mind, that if you're going to do something, you need to do it with intention because it's that one video that you could push out that could totally corrupt your brand to that person that's watching it. So I think everything you do should be with intention. And it's not that it takes that long to do it. It might take you an extra day, maybe even an extra three weeks. But if you did it with intention, the response, the, the actual results, the benefit are much stronger if you intentionally did it versus just trying to throw as much as you could against the wall and confusing your audience. Bill? Uh, ditto. Uh, I agree 100%. Um, I refuse to send out things that aren't super relevant and super high quality and uh, super helpful to people. And I will take the extra hour, the extra day, the extra whatever it takes of running it by some people uh, if I have to delay it to make sure it hits uh, you know, the people in a way that really helps them. So uh, I have a marketing director who uh, kind of make sure because I, I can shoot from the hip. I can run fast. Mm-hmm. I can just, you know, fire, fire and then aim. Uh, but I have surrounded my people uh, around myself with people who make sure I don't always do that because it doesn't always serve me. Yeah. You, you got to be consistent with your brand. You've got to be consistent with the quality. Uh, if people always expect quality from you, then you can't let them down. Right. You got to do your best. Scott. I, I think the word we all need to remember at this time is congruence. What our customers are really looking for is that that uh, we do what we said we would do when we said we would do it. There, there's some interesting research on that uh, under-promise, over-deliver is not really what we thought it was, that it turns out that over a period of time, customers feel manipulated when we sandbag on the promise to make ourselves look like heroes because of the performance. 
what we really have to be about is congruence. And, and that gets back to what Paul said in terms of integrity and, and, and everything that we've been talking about here is, and Bill has pointed out perfectly. I mean, it, it, it really is a really important time in terms of our customers are watching us more intently than ever before. And they're also watching our intentions very intently. Are we coming to them to hawk something to them? Are we coming in, in ways of, man, we are all facing a unique situation. Are you okay? Can we help? That's mm. how we need to be approaching during this challenging time. Well, and I want to tell you, it's one of these things where you have these moments, you know, you, you have a certain thought and sometimes it makes you think you're crazy because for me personally, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a brand person. I'm an optics person. And, and Paul, knowing you for as long as I have, you've probably even made me more of a brand person and, and, and putting care into my brand and what, what it says out there. And I have to tell you, it's refreshing to be on with you guys and hear that message because I've been on some calls recently where really people have just had this attitude of just, you know, hey, just, you know, you got to get stuff out there and, and you know, get your course out there and, and just this attitude of getting it out there without with no one mentioning the care of what does that say about your what does it say about your your brand? What is that message? What is the intention? Um and for a lot of people, the intention is to get some money, right? To, to <laughs> especially, you know, Bill Scott, you you got you and I come from NS, the speaker world and, and these things. So it's you know that keynote keynotes canceled. Now what what can I put out that is going to keep revenue in? And so it's just a little refreshing to say, hey, we we still need to respect our brand and have care in kind of you know what we're putting out. What I want to do. Um, a quick question for Scott, and then I want to just come back around and close this out with your with your advice for everybody. Scott, one of the things that you were talking about from an example standpoint, everyone loves to talk about, I'm tired of people talking about Starbucks, I'm tired of people talking about Chick-fil-A or Southwest Airlines, which I, I is my least favorite airline in the world, but um, <laughs> er, everyone loves to talk about them. Now, that's probably because I'm a bigger guy and I don't like that third road stuff, but, but uh, yeah. three seats in a row stuff, but Everyone always goes to them as to go through. What are some other companies or some other examples that people could be looking at uh, when we talk about being different or creating differentiation? Well, one is I know that you have a connection with as well. Uh, Corey is High Point University and, oh, yes. and what's happened nope. there. Yes. Uh, it, yeah. uh, it, it's, uh, it, to me, that is a shining example of when Dr. Nito Cobain became the president saying, you know, what, what can we do here? And he, he created a life skills university, taking a look at it in a different direction. What skills were going to be important uh, when you graduate to be able to have a great career and, and to be able to move forward as a, as a person of responsibility and, and, and a serious uh, professional. And so he, he, he right. altered so many things there at the university to make it unique. I'll, I'll give you another quick one. I, there's a restaurant in Indianapolis, St. Elmo's Steakhouse. Uh, St. Elmo's is very unique. They have, uh, <laughs> there's a couple things on the menu that are unusual, but St. Elmo's Steakhouse in Indianapolis with 12 other steakhouses in the downtown area has, has more revenue than any other steakhouse. In fact, their revenues are higher than Tavern on the Green in New York City. Oh, wow. And it is because, it's because of how they treat their people. Every waiter has a business card. Every waiter is encouraged to think of it not as a transitory job, but if they desire, it can become a career. 
They have waiters making six figures. Every mm. year they give the waiter a bottle of wine from the year that they started as a server in the restaurant. And, and Steve wow. Hughes, the, the CEO, says, man, now I've got people that have been here since the 70s. This is getting expensive. I'm <laughs> sure. I'm <laughs> the vintage from 74, you know. But, but they do it. And, and when you go, the, the server treats you like a client, not, not just like somebody dining there that night. And they build these relationships with, with people that, well, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, we couldn't figure out several years ago, why did the Rolling Stones play two nights in Indianapolis? They played two nights in Chicago, two nights in Los Angeles. Why did Indy get two? And it came out in the Keith Richards autobiography that they wanted to eat at St. Elmo's two nights. Is that right? <laughs> so, when you create that kind of loyalty with a global base of customers and clients, you're, you're going to be really successful. But it comes out of oh, no. you know the, the way we treat our internal customers, our, our, our team, our employees. The way that we treat them is going to be the way that they treat our customers. And so when we right. say we want to have a great customer experience, that congruency we were, we've all been talking about is critical because that's going to show from how we treat our employees – and and how they deliver to our customers. Phenomenal. All right, I want to wrap this up. I want to pose all of you the same question and the same backing question. First question is, what piece of advice do you have for people right now in the marketplace uh, that are entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business owners, small teams, um, but what advice do you have for them? What should they be thinking about? What's one key thing that they should be doing uh, from your wheelhouse Paul, I will start with you. And then the, the back end of that is how can people contact you if they want to, you know, consume more of your content, learn more about you? Um, how can they do that? I'll start with you, Paul. Okay. So my f biggest piece of advice right now is to really look at what have you been doing in your marketing for years and decide how you're going to change that to create a community, to create a following, to Really, I think that's the biggest thing is how do you create your community around you, your, your spokespeople for your business? Because a lot of times I think what's happening with businesses and they're realizing it now that they were only as good as their last sale. Mm -hmm. And if everything you've been focused on is sales events, then it's clear you don't have a community and you don't have those, those customers, those clients they're going to stick with you. They're just going to go for the better price. And that's not going to get you through any type of an economic downturn. So that would be the thing. Uh, find me, just do a search and I'm on your favorite social media platform. <laughs> yeah, give them some clarity. But Potras is a tricky name. I think it took me three years to get it right. No, it's really how do you, easy. How, how do you, how do you, you spell do, it? Yeah, exactly. All you have to do is first name's Paul and the last name just spell Potrats, but put a Z on it instead of an S and you'll find me. <laughs> okay. We don't want to. I've heard that confused before on air. So uh, uh, search yeah. for Paul Potrats. Paul, thank you for joining uh, the show today. I really appreciate you uh, coming on with us. Bill, I'll throw it to you. Gosh, there's so much in there. Um, I would say that one thing that everyone can do and probably do a better job at is determining your, what I call right fit client or right fit customer. You know, mm -hmm. clear intentions produce clear results. Most businesses are walking around with a vague sense of who their ideal or right fit client or customer is, uh, or they have a range uh, but it's uh, rarely articulated in a crystal clear manner. 
And what happens when you articulate it clearly, and you can have more than one ideal, it doesn't have to be just one, but when you get the demographics and more importantly, the psychographics, meaning the emotional components that these people are going through, the challenges, the, the fears, the doubts, the, the aspirations, the opportunities, when you get the emotional the psychographic aspects, and then you can articulate it very clearly then, and communicate it throughout the organization. That way, everyone in the entire organization is clear. This is who we serve the best. This is who we're geared to serve the best. And this is who we're trying to attract into our business. And that affects the referral process. It affects the messaging. It affects everything. So getting crystal clear to attract the people you really want. Uh, so to learn more about me, well, the book, real quick, it's uh, RadicalRelevanceBook.com, RadicalRelevanceBook.com, and my main website is ReferralCoach.com. Awesome. Scott? Gosh, what great advice uh, from those two. I, uh, first of all, I'd say follow their advice. <laughs> That's my first book. Uh, Second is, you know, I, I think I think we need to be saying it's not a bad thing right now to tap the brakes just a little bit. Don't mm. rush into any marketing messages. Don't rush. This situation is so fluid. You know, what what was right a month ago, you know, remember when they told us not to wear a mask that it wouldn't help, and now everybody has to wear a mask. I mean, this, right. this is new. That's why it's called a novel virus. Novel can mean new, first time. And this, this is such a fluid situation. So uh, with, with all the great advice that you've already heard, I, I would just kind of say this is also a time to tap the brakes and just be a little more introspective, a little, think a little bit more deeply, because what you say today, you know, might not age very well if, if we try to rush into something right now. So it's, it's a good time just to be reflective and, and take these ideas that these other folks have said and, and just reflect on them a little bit because it's, it's, it's great, great info. Uh, if, as far as contacting me, we, we have a website called distinctionnation.com. If you go there, it's, it, we have free resources. There's a 14-day audio program where you listen to the chapter every day. It's absolutely free, and it's on how do you create personal organizational distinction. There's free eBooks, free lessons, everything there. there. There's nothing there for you to buy even if you wanted to. All you need to do is just go to distinctionnation.com. It'll, it'll connect to my main website, which is scottmccain.com, but, but I want to make sure that your listeners, Corey, get a chance to, to get the free ebook and the free information and all that. Yes. It's available like that. for them in this challenging time. So it, distinctionnation.com is, is, if they go there, they can sign up and, and uh, we'll get the information to them right away. That is phenomenal. Listen, I want to uh, I want to send a thank you individually out to all of you, Paul. You know, thank you uh, for coming on again. We I know we go back ten years, and anytime I send out a message, need you to hop on something, you're there, and I certainly appreciate that, Bill. I want to thank you as well. You were one of the first people, probably seven eight years ago, when I became very active, you know, in NSA to reach out to me, and you certainly were already. A legend at that time didn't need to do that at all and welcomed me to your table and and um, did my show you know early on did my radio show so I want to appreciate you for for raising your hand and Scott I've got you know just about every book you've put out you've been somebody I followed yeah. for a long time so I'm so thankful that uh, we had the opportunity to, to come together and, and you were taking of your time to provide it so I want to thank all three of you you know for joining the show today you're welcome thank you for 
appreciate it, Corey. Thanks, Corey. <laughs> You're welcome. And as I close out today's episode, I'm asking you to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you get the latest episodes as soon as they are released. If you like what you are hearing, please leave a review. And if not, just keep it to yourself. And if you've heard something today that can help someone you know, then I encourage you to share it. Finally, if you are a business owner that is ready to become a fearless entrepreneur, then head on over to my website, fearlesswithcorey.com, to learn about the most comprehensive business growth support system for entrepreneurs on the planet. I'm Corey Mosley, and this has been another edition of the Fearless Entrepreneurship Podcast. Thank you for listening, and I will see you next week. Are you still there? I just want to say thank you again for listening to this podcast. Our podcast is distributed to several different sources like iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud, plus, of course, our own website. And it would mean so much to me if you liked the show to leave a review. It, of course, helps to build our popularity, but it also helps us come up in search engines so we can reach as many entrepreneurs as possible. So can I count on you to leave a review? I know I can. Thanks again, and I look forward to sharing with you next week.